Welcome to episode 123 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This week, my featured guest is Andrew Beebe, Managing Director at Obvious Ventures. Obvious is a venture capital firm investing in early-stage purpose-driven entrepreneurs reimagining trillion-dollar industries. Obvious has over a billion dollars assets under management in three investment pillars, sustainable systems, healthy living, and people power. And of course, it seems obvious after the fact. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. Andrew brings to Obvious Ventures a lifelong passion for building companies around sustainable systems and people power. He started down the clean tech path, co-founding Energy Innovations. Hey, Cravat Energy Innovations, I'm copying him. In 2003, which he grew from a business plan to a major solar developer serving customers like Google, Disney, Sony Pictures, and British Telecom. After selling the company to SunTech in 2008, Andrew served as Chief Commercial Officer at SunTech, as well as Vice President of Global Product Strategy. During his tenure, SunTech became the largest solar company in the world. And like me, Andrew was born in New York City and headed west. Welcome to The Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat, and I'm here with Andrew Beebe, Managing Director at Obvious Ventures. Andrew, welcome to The Climate Champions. Lee, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited because I did get to interview you once before. We were doing a fundraiser, and it was over Zoom, and I wasn't allowed to use it as a podcast episode, which I feel is a waste. So I have my second chance at you. Awesome. Let's do it. Let's do it. With regards to climate change, what was your motivating moment? What got you engaged in the fight? Well, I mean, it's funny. I feel like I got involved in climate change before it was climate change. Like climate change was a thermostat setting. When I got started, it was 2002. I mean, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but I had been an internet entrepreneur and venture-backed founder of an internet technology company called Big Step. And we sold that company. And basically, I was sort of just putting together the pieces of what what's a way that I could have impact every day when I go to work instead of just at the end of the day, like after you go make a bunch of money and then do something great with it. I wanted to do something great every day. And like I had done with the internet before, I just looked at like, hey, what big markets are going through radical transformation? And I believed that just as the spreading of bandwidth and internet accessibility changed everything in the in the decade before, I believed that the accessibility of distributed clean energy was going to change everything in the decade ahead. So really, the motivation for me was a little bit about pollution. And I was thinking about environmental impacts of all of the dirty stuff that we're burning to make energy. But it was also just an observation that we were about to go through a, a massive transformation in the way we made energy. And, and that's what motivated me. It was only after a decade of doing that work that it became clear how inextricably linked all of it was to global warming. And that's where it sort of got even more exciting for me. 
when I got involved with the energy industry, it was because I got a great promotion and it was in San Diego. It was only after I started working in that industry that I realized that I can actually make an impact on the world. It really changed my life because suddenly it wasn't just about money. It was about doing something that actually matters. I'm thrilled that that happened to both of us, but I'm even more excited that today there are so many opportunities for young people, old people, all people to jump in and get paid really well to do these very, very important jobs. And 20 years ago, that just was not really true. Those opportunities were far and few between. We're just in the ramping phase of a true reimagination of so many parts of the global economy. There's going to be a lot of great economic opportunity, and you're going to be able to do it while doing something truly heroic for humanity. It took me until I was in my 40s to realize there was more to life than money. I love that I meet all these people in their 20s. They already know it. Oh, that's awesome. We do a lot of work with Yet Ming Chang at MIT. You know, I've probably been on the show, but an amazing icon in the battery industry and, and now in the decarbonization of industry uh, like concrete and other things. He's a, just a terrific mind and, and he's a professor at MIT in material sciences. And I was asking him about the incoming class. And I said, where, you know, where's their head at? You know, the brilliant minds of MIT age 18. And he said, it's incredible. 50% of them are coming to MIT to work on something. You know, they say they want to work on climate. And I was a little disappointed. And I said, well, what, you know, what about the other 50%? And he said, they want to work on robotics and computer science. But then he had this nice long pause and he said, but robotics and computer science for climate. So his view is that everybody coming in recognizes that they can put their talents to work in this in this really transformational moment. It's interesting that you mentioned him because I just released a podcast that he is in the wrap of. It was with Dr. Raj Dasgupta at Electrovia. We talked about A123 and he was a founder of yeah. A123. Yeah. And so he was in the wrap. That's fantastic. Yeah. Today, what is your personal driver to make things happen in climate? I look at it sort of in, in the opposite, which is like, how could you not be working on climate right now? What kind of personal driver do we need? I, I look at people who are, well, particularly people who are working in fields that are counter to a climate positive future. And I just wonder, do you not have children? Do you not have grandchildren? Like, have you just given up on the future of humanity? Because there is so much opportunity for innovation and such an extraordinary need for it. Honestly, Lee, I can't imagine working on anything else. I am so with you on that. I never would have answered that, but that is a great answer. When you meet people that don't yet understand how important it is and how could you not, how do you convince them how important this is? I mean, luckily that job's gotten easier by the day, Lee. I mean, just pick a headline, any headline, and it's pretty well tied back in so many ways. I guess the way I look at it is that we're all born deeply connected to the earth. I mean, you talk to, just watch children, watch children who can't yet communicate with their words. You watch them in nature or you watch them with a tree or with animals. And you just know that we're actually sort of all born environmentalists in the sense that we all are deeply connected with nature. We're just part of it. And we know how that works. And somehow we go through maybe a lifelong divorcing from it or uh, sterilization or something. And I think more and more people are A, looking for that way to get back to it and B, as young people, I think 
maybe never completely got divorced from it. And that's a beautiful thing. And I think that that's leading people to just realize like, of course, of course, I'm going to work on this. Of course, this is something that really matters. Luckily, I mean, the other piece here is that if you aren't really deeply motivated in that way, greed is a really powerful motivator. It's been around forever, whether you're that born environmentalist or not, greed is really powerful. And that's been a recent development as a tool here. And I think a really great one. And and Tesla is a incredible, quirky and weird, but shining example of the kind of value that can be created economic and planetary with the right kind of motivation. You're giving me goosebumps right now. And the reason is that I say the same thing when I teach improv. When people tell me that improv is too hard and they can't do it, I say the key thing is to be able to shake what you've learned mm. from when you were a child with regards to being judged. Uh. So it's a different thing, but you have to shed it so that you can be free on stage and just go with what you feel. Well, we should teach that alongside climate then, because there, there are a lot of things that people coming into these fields need to shed. And one of them is, hey, you know, I have to be altruistic to do this. I mean, I think you could be just motivated financially, I mean, hopefully more, but you could be motivated financially and you are going to be well rewarded by pursuing this path. So talk about what you do and what Obvious Ventures does to help mitigate climate change. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm fairly new to venture. I've been doing this for coming up on eight years and I lead our sustainable systems practice, which means for us means a real focus on climate, electrification, on carbon, all sorts of carbon businesses and industrial businesses. We also invest in food and wellness and financial technology. And a lot of those are climate related. You know, Beyond Meat was an early investment of ours. And it, it has done really well to transform the food industry, but a lot of it is about climate. And so I think the overlap here reminds me a lot of what we did with the internet in the late 90s. We were merry band of misfits trying to figure out like, how, what do we do with all this fun new technology? And, and a lot of people at the time, this was like mid 90s, we didn't think anyone was going to make money in this space. It was weird and hard to figure out. And it was more of a curiosity. It was exciting and fun. In the early 2000s, I think people were not sure, can you make money in climate? But what happened with the internet is it went from being the internet to just being everything, to being the entire global economy was somehow connected together, comma, due to this internet thing. I think the same thing is happening with climate where we went from like a solar panel curiosity and then, you know, maybe there was this like, and then there's this wind stuff. And then there's like, well, somebody might make an electric car to it just becoming embedded into everything across the global economy because we're decarbonizing the entire global economy. And that means that there's opportunity in every nook and cranny. So that's what we focus on at Obvious. I lead a lot of that effort in the decarbonization realm and electric vehicle realm. And before that, I spent a little over a decade in the solar industry being part of a, a massive group of folks, I mean, small group in the beginning, but ultimately turned into a huge group globally, who took us from this very, very expensive world of you know $9, $10 a watt down to a dollar a watt. And now people are taking us down to 10 cents a watt in solar panels. And it stands to me as a reminder on a regular basis, our firm is called Obvious because so much of what we do first seems crazy, but in hindsight really seems obvious. And that of course, like kids today can't imagine a world without the internet. It just doesn't even make sense. I think a lot of people in energy think, oh, of course, solar was going to be cheap. Duh, you're just scaling it. 
we had no idea. I mean, we thought, yeah, dollar watt, that'd be the most incredible thing in the world. I was working for the largest solar company in the world, SunTech, run by a, a great scientist, Dr. Shengrong Shi, and solar cell PhD from the University of New South Wales. We used to tell the press and stuff, we're going to get to a dollar watt. And after the meetings, he would turn to me and say, I really don't know how we're going to do that. <laughs> and, and we had a belief, we had a passion and conviction, but of course we did. And then we blew past that for a, a whole bunch of reasons and had to do a, a lot of a global transformation. But that will be done again and again in things like lithium ion batteries, you know, where depending on who you ask and how we measure it, but we're coming up on $100 a kilowatt hour. That's a magical slot and that starts to transform everything, but we're just getting warmed up. You know, those numbers will go down, the density will go up, just like solar panels became more and more efficient, but the cost went down and down and down. We're going to do that again and again. And the idea that like, we won't be able to innovate over the next 50 years and innovate our way out of the challenges that we're in. I think that's crazy talk. Like that's like, it's not just un-American, it's like unhuman. <laughs> you don't want to bet against the human race, right? I don't think so. A new thought that you just inspired in me, and it's basically what you said, I'm going to say it in different words, is that there came a time with the internet where we redid most of business and most of the world, everything that you do, leveraging the internet. And we took it out of how we used to do it. I never saw it before, but I do agree with you. I can see a future economy where we redo everything in sustainability. We're gonna redo everything, Lee. Like, it's, it's pretty straightforward. We know we're redoing all power generation, right? So that's happening net of nuclear and net of hydro, but even those were substantially upgrading. So we're redoing all of that. That's a rip and replace. And the, the replace will be a much, much better product. Obviously no pollution, but we also have things like distributed generation. We have much more resilient grids because of it. So that's a rip and replace. And that's a big chunk of the climate issue, right? Because it's a source. It's a, sort of the scope one of everybody else's scope two and three. So it's at the center of it. But then we're in the process in the early days right now of a rip and replace of all mobility. Anything with a tailpipe is going to be completely reimagined. Every motorcycle, every truck, every rail car, every shipping lane is going to be completely decarbonized and they will be upgraded when we do it. Phase number two is all mobility. And then phase three is all industry. So fertilizer. Haver-Bosch is a very it's a magical, extraordinary process that's helped humanity grow leaps and bounds. We're going to rip and replace. We're going to actually upgrade that in a carbon-free way. Things like aluminum, steel smelting, these are you know hydrogen generation. These are complex processes that need to be upgraded. Cement, all of that will be ripped and replaced with a major upgrade. Yeah, so it really is an entire economy redo, just like we did with the internet. It is super exciting. Thank you. I'm excited. <laughs> I sound more excited. So I'm going to bring up Electrovia again, just because of what you said. When we were having our conversation, he was talking about the density increases he expected if he could be successful with solid state batteries. And he was optimistic. Yeah. I don't have any relationship with him, just so you know, in any way. <laughs> How did the pandemic impact obvious? I think like a lot of people, for us being totally scattered and hunkered down in our caves, was a curiosity at first, but it became very, you know, increasingly real over time. And I think it was hard. We really missed being a team and being together. But in venture, it also allowed for sort of hyper efficiency. It was interesting. 
it convinced us that we could do things more on a global scale. We could meet with founders anywhere in the world. We could have done that before, but it just became so commonplace that if they were up the street or they were in Latvia, it wouldn't really matter. So time will tell whether that for the industry was a, a positive or a negative. We're looking forward to being back in person. We're all moving back into the offices next week, actually. And I think it's going to be it's going to be great. You already talked a bit about your prior background. Do you want to add anything? One of the things we love about Obvious is that we're founders backing founders. You know, we were founders in the past. And, and for me, being a venture-backed founder in the internet age and then repeatedly in the energy space, I think is really important. It helps me connect with the folks that I'm working with. I think it helps us have sort of a shared sense of what this really takes, the hardships of being a founder, being a CEO of an early stage company, or just being a part of a founding team. Even in go-go years, like we've been through in the last couple of years, it's just tough. It's really excruciating. So I'm really proud of the companies that I helped build with other co-founders and what we went through together and the scary early times of just not knowing what was going to happen next. Those are some of my proudest years in business. And I think that's um, just a really important part of how we empathize and work with founders at Obvious. What success are you most proud of? Well, I mean, being part of this industry transformation, two orders of magnitude on the solar front, that was magical. And Again, I think in hindsight, everybody takes it as obvious, but it was not, and it was tough. And I really am proud of what the entire industry did. At one point when I was at SunTech, I was running global sales and responsible for all the revenue of the company. And I think in one year, we sold $3.5 billion worth of solar globally. And that was just really exciting when we stopped. I remember the earnings call and we just call was done and we just sort of looked around and said, did we just sell? I think it might even been like $4 billion worth of solar around the world. And 15 years prior, the, the global solar industry had sold less than a billion dollars for sure, probably less than a hundred million dollars worth of solar. So it just stands as a reminder of how quickly when everybody focuses their energy, when policy people, when activists, when environmentalists, and when business people and consumers focus their energy you can change things very quickly. I mean, that's why I'm probably short-term bearish on how we're doing on climate, but I am definitely long-term and probably mid-term very optimistic. Well, I want to get into that a little bit more. Given your optimism, when you look forward 10, 20, 30 years, how is the human race doing? Yeah. I mean, honestly, 10 plus, I think is, for me, is easier than you know zero to five years. Gates and many other people have quotes that are similar, but Gates has a quote about, you know, we always overestimate what we can do in two years and underestimate what we can do in 10 years. I think we're living in that right now. Bloomberg, I think, always has the best numbers and forecasts on things like EVs. And the numbers are extraordinary, right? In China and in California, like California's registrations two months ago, I think were close to 20% for all new passenger vehicles were electric. One in five electric. This is before our great governor said anything about, you know, no more gas guzzlers starting in 2035, et cetera. I mean, consumers are speaking, right? And as we like to say, as goes California, so goes the rest of the country. And in fact, some regulatory regimes across states really are tied to California output. So five years ago, if you had said to somebody, hey, uh, I think Europe and California and maybe the entire US will just start banning gas vehicles. No way would people believe that, right? And now what I think you're going to see is 
sure, there there may be ultimately bans in 2030, 2035, but we'll be we'll be ahead of the curve by then because the products are so much better coming out so much better and that's that's what i think i just i i assume people just forget when they say like oh there's no way you could ever make this work or an ev car produces more co2 than a gas car which i i think actually probably was true at some point in the very beginning of course it's not true anymore of course we've gotten better than that of course we know how to innovate so i just i like I am very, very bullish that within the 10 year time frame, we have, you know, today we have line of sight for how so many of these industries can be decarbonized and upgraded. Aviation, super tough, space travel, those are difficult carbon intensive industries that we got work to do on. But the idea that we can't figure that stuff out, I think that's crazy. Who, who says that? So clean bill of health for the planet in 20, 30 years? We'll be in a safe zone again. I'm talking about for humanity. This really is just about the survival of humanity, not of about the planet. I think the planet like would be pretty psyched if we weren't around anymore because <laughs> we tend to be the ones screwing it up, not like overpopulation of feral pigs or deer, which are a problem, but our issues are bigger in impact. Do you have any major setbacks you want to talk about? I mean, look, if this had been, what was it, three weeks, a month ago, I would have said American leadership on climate. And- Something magical happened. I don't, I, I, I know a lot of people in Washington, I still haven't gotten a straight explanation of what did they have on Joe Manchin, but something happened and we had an incredible climate bill passed in the US. And that bill is extraordinary on a lot of levels. It's the blunt force instrument of the federal government. So there will be some waste. There will be some things that was money not well spent, et cetera. And I'm sure people will pick it apart to death. But in writ large, it's more money than we've ever spent on climate and climate tech in the history of the US combined. So it's a big deal on a financial basis. I think another thing that's understated is that it's a big deal in terms of helping Americans see the value of climate. We're going to have, you've probably had people on the show talking about the number of battery plants and EV plants going up all over the country and red states and blue states and purple states. And those are going to be thousands and thousands of jobs that didn't exist before, and they're going to be for a clean economy. I don't think people appreciate how much this climate bill is going to create hundreds of thousands of evangelists for climate, voters for climate, lobbyists for climate, right? That's what happened with solar. We put solar plants in Tennessee. We put wind farms in North Dakota and South Dakota. And, and that really created an understanding with the voters that this industry means jobs, lots of jobs. It means growth. It means all sorts of technology. So you asked me about things I'm really concerned about. I mean, I'm very, very bullish about what just happened with the climate bill. I do believe that we have work to do to ensure that America, America now really just has regained a seat at the table. It's not like we've suddenly regained American leadership on this issue. And we have an opportunity to enhance that, or at least make sure we don't lose it in the coming years. And that to me would be a real tragedy if, if we take that kind of leadership off the table. That sounds like advice for our leadership. What advice do you have for regular people? How can they help to mitigate climate change? Yeah, this one is super easy. Vote. Vote for climate, especially if you're a Republican, especially if you're in a red or purple state. I know tons of great Republicans who are conservationists, who are environmentalists, who care about the outdoors. 
people who like to hunt and fish and backpack and camp. I mean, all of those folks, there's no, that's not a Democrat or Republican issue. And yet somehow, somewhere along the way, the Democrats did a great job of owning this issue. And the Republicans somehow decided that they should be letting it go. And I mean, politically, you're just more on the wrong side of this one every day. So I think I believe there are a lot of Republicans who would like to come around and and many who have in rhetoric, but just not in voting nationally and um, those elected officials. But there are plenty of voters who are Republicans or moderates or independents who I think could play a more active role with their party or with their elected officials to just say, maybe I don't, you know, if you could be single issue about it, that'd be great. But if not, just say like, hey, this is in my top three. And that will really start to change people's minds. And then we can just get back to a collaborative world where people of different political persuasions could work together to figure out what's the best way to get this solved, not just sort of what's the thing I can ram through politically. I think that's going to be critical that we get on the same page. Otherwise, I think it's going to take a lot more tragedy before we all get together on this issue. Yeah. Kim Stanley Robinson did a great service by writing a book called Ministry for the Future. And it starts with some pretty rough opening scenes about likely and potential tragedies that will happen and happen soon. And of course, we're seeing it in floods across the US and wildfires and all this stuff. And we can sort of debate about what percentage of blame to ascribe specifically to climate change versus human other types of human behavior or, or mistakes. But ultimately, we know, and I think everyone around the world sees that we are trending in the wrong direction. And there will be more and more catastrophic events, Lee. And, and that's going to be, you know, that's something to really be sad about unless we can turn it into action. Agreed. Hey, do you have any questions for me? Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite tequila? My favorite tequila, Adjectivo. I love it. Oh. You used to only be able to get it at Old Town Liquors in San Diego. It's the only place, at least on the internet. But all of a sudden, Costco had it, so I stocked up. Okay, and is it Reposado or Añejo? What's your... I like the Extra Añejo okay. best. They also have a filtered Extra Añejo. So oh, that's it's... what I would do that, yeah. I'm more of a Reposado person, but filtered Añejo I like. And another question, since you might edit that one, is uh, my other question is, when did you, I mean, sort of the first question you asked me, when, when did you realize that your path, which really has been incredibly focused on climate for a long, long time, when did you realize that your path was, that was going to be your life's work? I don't think it was as long as you think it is. In 1998, I went to work for Sempra. My kids were visiting we went to the top floor, it was on a weekend, and we looked out at the city during twilight, the lights came on, and my daughter asked me, Dad, what do you do? And I always told her I work on computers, and I know she thought I played because that's what she did with computers, but I said, I help keep the lights on. And I'm getting chills right now talking to you, and I got chills then because it made me realize there was something else beyond making yeah. money. And that's really when it started. And I never looked back since then. But you, you went into smart grid and EV things really before. I mean, those were advanced technologies when you got engaged with them, right? Well, I have to give credit 
first of all, to Terry Moan, because he brought the term smart grid to me and explained to me what it was. I got super excited and put all my efforts behind it at that point. And then I had a great team. And if you have a great team, you know, I had Tom Bialik and Josh Gerber and Greg Smith, amazing people on that team. It was easy to do amazing things with, with those kind of folks. And we had leadership that understood what was going on. Mike Nigley was our president at the time. He totally got it. And he let us do what we needed to do to make a difference. Well, what I noticed about that period of time was that there were people in utilities, uh, big utilities that got it. And they were very few of them. And there were people who didn't, or at least were really resistant and holding on to old ways of doing things, mainly burning things. And I felt like when I met you, I could I could tell that you were one of the people who got it. So I, I think we all owe you a debt of gratitude and appreciate the work you put in over the decades. You know, I, I appreciate that. But come on, Mr. BB, you have made so much happen, so much more. It takes so, a village, man. Yeah. And sometimes you got to work inside the machine and sometimes you got to work outside the machine. And so I, I appreciate all the efforts. Yeah. Anyone who does that work. Same here. Is there anything else you want to say? To anyone out there who's on the fence, I know it's sometimes hard to figure out like, okay, but I'm an artist or I'm a, I work at a fast food chain or whatever. Like, how can I possibly make the shift? Just remember that every part of the economy is going to somehow need some of this transformation. So there's a way to do it. There are plenty of different points of entry. That can be in manufacturing, that could be boots on the roof and as a solar installer, that can be you know, as a mechanic on electric vehicles, there's so many different ways to do it. So it may take a little while. I'm not saying that it's just like a no brainer to make the jump. But if you have any talents in any fields, I promise you there are ways to transfer that into climate. So please jump on in because the water is, is warm and getting warmer. There's a story about a barber who feared that technology would take over his haircutting business, that they would invent some kind of machine that would make it so that he was unnecessary, that would automate haircutting. And he worried about it and worried about it. And then he got an idea how he could do it. And he invented the product and changed the world in haircutting. But I think that's the philosophy you're talking about. Think about how you can make that change in your industry. And know that you'll just be so much happier when you have alignment with your own values and the work that you do. Find that alignment. It is, uh, it's a really special moment. Yeah, follow your passion. Hey, on that note, I'm going to wrap this up and I'm going to wrap it up with a wrap. Well, first with the internet, because at your core, you want to make impact as an entrepreneur. More people care about climate and that's a fact. And they also want to make an impact. If you've got kids, You've got to apply what you've got when it comes to climate change. How could you not? Can you believe we have just a dollar? A what? Listen, regardless of what it is, whatever you need, you can even get involved in climate if it's based on greed. If you want to make your dime, it makes sense to get involved with climate. Come on, get involved, help save the human race. Everything we know we're gonna do a rip and replace. You should follow Andrew, you should place your bet because climate's gonna be the next internet. You got involved with solar to help save the nation. It was a part of the critical transformation. 
You became more optimistic on that special day when Manchin agreed to the IRA. <laughs> Come on, everybody, get on the climate boat. Please focus on the issue of climate and vote, vote, vote. Andrew, you know, you're kind of giving me the heebie-jeebie. Thank you so much, Andrew Beebe. <laughs> Love it. Amazing. You're a multi-talented man, Lee. It's a lot of fun. Rip and replace. A big thank you to Andrew for making this clear. As the world responds to the existential threat of climate change, industries across the board will shift to a sustainable model. As with the internet, new business models, new technology, new ideas, and new fortunes. Look at Tesla. It's already happening. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at privatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe. Rate it five stars if you're an Apple user and tell your climate concerned friends about it. Andrew asked us to look within. What are your passions? What are your skills? How can you help the world while you make money? How can you help to mitigate climate change? Mm -hmm.